and welcome to another edition of Clear and Present. So this is the last week of June 2023. Given that dateline, unless you've been living under a rock or have just beamed down from some other planet, you know that one of the things that's getting an awful lot of media attention across a variety of different domains of interest, ranging from public interest all the way up to global security, is these unidentified or unusual anomalous phenomenon, UAPs, formerly referred to as unidentified aerial phenomenon, although now we see a broader potential application across a whole host of environments, water, air, land, and these were formerly referred to as UFOs, unidentified flying objects. Well, there are plenty of things in the air that we can't identify at first blush, but ultimately, through some level of investigation and inquiry, we, we figure out what's up there. And, and I can tell you, as a former pilot myself, there's a lot of things that you see in the sky that sometimes you just don't get a good tally on. You just don't get quite sure what's, what's there. But over the years, as you may know, from Project Blue Book all the way to the present, there's been not only increasing interest in the phenomenon themselves, but in the social phenomenon, the military phenomenon, the political phenomenon that's involved with the information and how the information has been handled. The most recent groundbreaker, if you will, is the work of this proverbial whistleblower, Mr. Grush. Now, what he claims is that he has been privy to information that information exists, both in terms of, of actual data as well as evidence, physical evidence, that has been withheld from a congressionally directed committee to examine these unusual and unidentified anomalous phenomenon. In other words, that, that the task of identifying these and or addressing these in a scientifically valid and therefore reliable way to be made at least available as information to governmental resources, and then perhaps more broadly to the public at large, has been denied particular tools. And Mr. Grush's claim is that this denial is intergovernmental. And sufficient gravitas has been regarded to his particular whistleblowing claims that it has gone to the inspector general's office. And as a consequence, this has created a ripple effect both throughout the government, for sure, as well as within the public. The question then becomes threefold. Number one, is there something out there? Number two, do we know that there's something out there and this has been information that has been somehow withheld for whatever intent? Number three, and perhaps most importantly, what does this really mean? Well, let, let's take a look at the scenarios first. And let's take a look at some technical possibilities, literally technical possibilities, circumstantial possibilities, and in that way perhaps pose what may be tentative or putative technical solutions to this question of, is there something there there? I think first is the possibility that there's not. Well, I think we have to really regard the overall set of circumstances. I mean, let's take a look at Mr. Grush, if we will. No, no argument here against the person at all. No, no argument ad hominem. Let's just look at this circumstantially. This is a guy who's had considerable governmental service, a guy who's had considerable military service, who's held rather extensive and 
prominent clearances and has access to a variety of different compartments along with those clearances, and was informed that certain things had not been provided to the committee upon which he sat. And as a consequence of that, he found that troubling and has come forward with a sanctioned whistleblowing response. So I guess the question here is, why would he do that if it weren't true? This is a guy who has an awful lot to lose, not only in terms of his credibility, but realistically, his viability in terms of his career trajectory, if in fact what he's saying is not true. Now, what he's saying is true. The question is whether the actual information that he was provided with or afforded is true. But there's very little, at least to my mind, that would suggest that he is not being truthful in his reports that he has been told that such information and or evidence exists that has not therefore been provided to the committee upon which he sat and which ultimately was tasked with investigating this matter in far more granular detail. So the idea that he is, quote, lying or misrepresenting what he believes to be true and was informed, I think is a consideration here that we can pretty much debunk. Again, the take-home message, the bottom line up front, at least for me, is that for all intents and purposes, there would be no reason for this gentleman to lie. I mean, that Andy Warhol proverbial 15 minutes of fame realistically would pale alongside the lifelong decrement and infamy that he would then gain uh, in terms of his lack of credibility, his lack of employability, essentially he'd be ruined. So let's take what he had to say as truthful from his perspective, that yes, he was told these things by key individuals, that not only this information existed, but physical evidence existed, and that was not being provided to the committee. So what, what could that mean? Could this be, in fact, a massive misinformation campaign? And Mr. Grush was, in fact, relatively thrown under the bus or used as the targeting scapegoat, the false flag, the proverbial potential honeypot to attract this information? Might there have been some blanket, some net that protects him? Possible. Let's face it, there are plenty of things going on domestically and internationally whereby planting false flags might not be a bad idea at the moment. But again, we have to consider the overall capability of doing so, the implications of doing so, the risks to Mr. Grush, as well as the maelstrom of response across ranges of government and various aspects of governmental activities and agencies, inclusive of the Department of Defense, as a consequence. So that level of mobilization that has occurred as a consequence of this event is significant. And if this is a massive misinformation campaign, it's becoming a very expensive misinformation campaign. The second possibility is that indeed this information, maybe these evidences do exist, that there is a considerable amount of information that may not have been provided to the committee. It exists somewhere in some compartment and somewhere along the line, it was deemed that individuals who are investigating these things need not be read into those compartments. In other words, these were sensitive compartments whereby the sensitivity and need to know was restricted to a very, very small number of people for whatever reason. Well, what could that be? Well, this entertains a second possibility is this might be human technology, which once again is, is not a monolithic entity. What kind of human technology? Simple propulsion technology, again, it is, is not impossible to envision that there may be forms of propulsion that 
either we in the United States and our international biotechnical and scientific allies are working on, or perhaps peer competitors are working on, that would allow these types of devices, primarily as drone devices, unmanned devices, to move with all the flying characteristics we've seen. It's been entertained, for example, that magnetic field manipulation using some kind of artificial magnetosphere might allow some capability, particularly of a relatively small device, or perhaps even considerably larger devices, to utilize the Earth's magnetic field via some form of superconductor induction for very, very rapid movement without all the apparent artifacts that one would see for propulsion, exhaust, contrails, etc. So it's not beyond the realm of possibility that this could exist, but once again, I think the, the goal here is to examine possibility and probability. And if these types of technologies exist, that although it's not impossible that given sort of skunk work phenomenon, not only is occurring here in the United States, but elsewhere, they may be held in a very, very tight compartment. And that the continued use of these forms of propulsion and the iterative development of these types of devices has now come into the, if you will, public eye because of their increasing frequency. Their increasing frequency of test, their increasing frequency of evaluation, or perhaps even their increasing frequency of operationalizable use. Well, we could dig a little bit deeper, and this is where fact tends to blend with fiction. Might it also be possible that at some particular point, humans have created technology that's capable of interacting with the space-time continuum, and this is where things get a little on the iffy side. Might this represent something from human futures that then is an artifact of future human time travel? Oh, yeah, okay. Those things are exciting, I think provocative, and maybe even fun to think about, but here too, I think this is where speculation can lead to certain folly. But let, let's just ground this to the reality that this is some potential human technology that can be used in a variety of ways. Propulsion being one of them, but along with said propulsion and the ability to travel with these characteristics, dual use is not out of the question, and therefore that then becomes a public safety and national security intelligence and defense concern, which may limit it to certain compartments based upon, number one, need to know, and number two, considerations for what that might then yield to some form of technology race, arms race, brinksmanship, one-upsmanship, etc. And that's making the assumption that the technology is, quote, ours. If it's, quote, theirs, well, that then demonstrates a level of not being able to remain apace with said science and technology. That certainly, I think, is a frightening thought because what it represents is that they, whoever they may be, possess certain technologies that we do not have and have yet not acquired and that might be intimidating with regard to our level of preparedness and readiness. The third possibility is that this is non-human technology. And this could be groundbreaking for a number of different reasons. Number one, clearly the event in itself. That here, the idea that we are not alone in the universe has now been validated by virtue of real live evidence of such. And if that's the case, then what does that mean? Where is it from? In other words, who's doing this? What is the nature of this? And there are also, I think, a number of entertainable options and possibilities that could be speculated upon. The idea of, for example, von Neumann spheres that could be utilized in very, very rapid transit across great lengths of space, once again, utilizing certain types of technologies that we have an idea about, primarily the idea of some form of superconduction based upon magnetic 
pulsing and or, or mag magnetic capabilities to use magnetic field uh, manipulation could allow long intergalactic travel, particularly if, in fact, the nature of the device was not one that contained a biological organism or that contained a biological organism that could in some way be left dormant, but if, in fact, it contained the building blocks for biological organisms or informational organisms, well, that might be an entertainable option. And I, I think there's certainly room to speculate. But the larger issue there is we're being visited by extraterrestrials. What does that mean? Not only what does that mean in terms of the science and technology, but what does that mean sociologically, anthropologically, across the realm of human experiences? Let's face it. I mean, each and all of these, whether this is a massive misinformation campaign, human technology, open to a range of speculations as to what and why and how, and or non-human technology, each and all of these have tremendous evident security aspects and implications. But joining me today is a long-esteemed colleague and friend. Joining me today is Professor Dr. Nico Coles from the Applied Program in Integrative Health Promotions at the University of Applied Sciences in Coburg, Germany. And Dr. Coles has devoted much of his career to examining unusual phenomenon and extraordinary experiences and their implications and effects upon both idiosyncratic, in other words, individual health, as well as public health and sociological effects. Nico, welcome. Thank you, Jim. A pleasure to be here. So a, a question for you, and I, I'll, I'll pose this among a series of three questions. First, what do you feel are the public health effects of this recent increase in provocative, if not contentious information, or perhaps more accurately, the revelation that apparently vital information may have been withheld. Yeah, <laughs> that's a um, $100 million question, Jim. And um, being a psychologist, particularly uh, a stress, uh, a stress a psychologist uh, interested in um, the stress response, I would actually uh, start by uh, looking at the impact of distress. And for sure, what we know, times of crisis are uh, usually... Uh, times of uh, perceiving and uh, seeing anomalies such as apparitions and uh, you might go as far as to look at funerals let's for example take lady star funeral or even the late queen's uh, funeral people during that times people tend to uh, report a lot of um, uh, strange phenomena uh, such as seeing ghostly things apparitions and uh, for sure we're living in difficult uh, in uh, transformative times and so uh, from the viewpoint of uh, psychology it's not um, it's not a surprise uh, that uh, anomalies are being reported more frequently so i would uh, say what is the psychological impact there is uh, first of all uh, the disclosure of potentially withheld information uh, might uh, evoke a lot of uh, response in the public. And uh, given uh, that there is already an increased distress levels, people might actually experience heightened anxiety and fear or even uncertainty about the nature of this phenomena and their implications. And uh, given that uh, UFO sightings and um, related phenomena are by nature always um, 
signs uh, of ambiguity. Uh, people have to deal with that. And uh, I think this is this is the first very important impact. And as we know, people um, respond uh, very differently towards uh, degrees of ambiguity, depending on their temperament and personality. And uh, so that is that is my first uh, psychological um, remark. Then second, I would go uh, a step further and look at it from a political or uh, um, <clears throat> public um, um, public concern level. And uh, it might actually erode the trust in government, as you said, because the perception that vital information has been withheld by the government can, of course, erode public trust. And uh, we have seen the corona crisis. Uh, we have... Um, have a lot of programs and uh, discussions about framing in the media and so on. And in a sense, um, we now have uh, a sort of follow-up uh, narrative or topos of, uh, of the corona um, narrative, because uh, now the discussion is not, is the virus real, but are these UFO and um, strange things seen in the sky, are these real? Is there something withheld? And this, as a consequence, might, of course, lead to overload and misinformation uh, by the public. Again, uh, a, a vicious circle because people have to deal with very ambivalent information. And uh, last uh, <coughs> point, uh, public engagement and science communication might, and this is a positive impact, might actually increase because it's becoming, and it, as you already mentioned, it already has become a hotspot of attention, hasn't it? And uh, so I think uh, we see a lot of uh, different, if not ambivalent effects, but uh, in a sense, uh, it is, uh, I tend to regard it as an entropy signal. It's a marker of stress. Hmm. Interesting. So let, let's run with that and posit some further possibilities. Mm -hmm. So let's just, based upon the assumptions of what these UAPs, these uh, unusual aerial mm -hmm. and or anomalous phenomenon might be, and in each case, what do you believe might be the public health risks or threats posed to health and or health promotion? So for example, if, if it's a, a misinformation campaign, mm -hmm. what are the risks there? If it's some man-made technology, what do you view as public health and health promotional risks there? Or if it's some non-human artifact, mm -hmm. what are the risks there? Okay, uh, let, let's start with uh, the hypothesis that this might be an intentional misinformation agenda that uh, has deliberately put on. It might actually uh, be used as a sort, as a means for diverting resources. Public attention and resources could be diverted away from other important health issues, issues such as pandemics, natural disasters, wars, or public other public safety concerns. And um, as a matter of fact, uh, this uh, could impede uh, effective responses and preparedness efforts, potentially leading to negative health outcomes. For sure, we have to keep that. Uh, we have to keep that in mind. And. Um, it might also, as I said, lead to an erosion of trust. That is, uh, I think, a very, very important um, point because uh, given that we are, we are actually living in very secular times, at least in the West, uh, the, um, <clears throat> the state, the government and its respective entities have been regarded as something fundamental. And if they uh, are uh, claimed to have uh, not told the complete truth, it might actually lead uh, to um, erosion of trust in the government, leading to reduced credibility. 
and to uh, government or related agencies. So uh, this um, this is a very uh, a very real threat. And uh, if we go a step further, and we, uh, as you also mentioned, um, we talk about very new man-made technologies, and this might also be something that UAPs might actually be, then uh, there might be a lot of safety concerns if these technologies are experimental or poorly understood for whatever reasons. There could be certain uh, risks associated with their use or uh, even accidental exposure. For example, as you said, if propulsion systems have unknown effects on environments or uh, human health, human tissue, say, it could lead to unintended consequences or hazards. I mean, you have looked into um, similar uh, phenomena um, that uh, have incurred uh, such effects, such as the Havana syndrome. And of course, uh, it might uh, be used as a potential weapon. So uh, weaponization is another is another issue. And uh, if that actually shifts the uh, global pattern of power distribution, uh, at least with regard to military purposes, it might we might end up with a very unequal power distribution. And uh, so uh, this also has to be uh, taken into account, if you ask me. And um, last but not least, I mean, this is, uh, this is the, the main point. If it is a non-human artifact that we are seeing, then clearly uh, this is a sort of uh, turning point in the, uh, in the history of uh, humankind. And uh, uncertainty and fear might actually be incurred. I mean, are these aliens uh, friendly? Are they hostile? Is it a salvation narrative because we can't deal with our problems here on Earth? and we need some external force to be brought in. This, uh, if an external force, extraterrestrial force or um, extraterrestrial beings are sort of um, brought into our sphere, it might lead to disease or contamination, something that has been uh, proclaimed, at least uh, in, in some, um, in some um, uh, proposed encounters. And uh, at the end of the day, let's face it, it might lead uh, towards uh, societal disruption because are we, uh, would we be really prepared to uh, sort of um, come to terms with the fact that we are not only not alone in the universe, but are visited and uh, have to interact with these uh, friendly or unfriendly uh, entities. So those points are profound. But let's take a look at, at the last two, mm -hmm. particularly. I mean, moving away from the misinformation idea, mm -hmm. and perhaps even if there is some level of misinformation, I think the larger question is an ethical question, mm -hmm. a question of responsibility. Mm -hmm. You and I both work very deeply in the ethical interface between science, technology, sociology, mm -hmm. and what the ethics of using those things are for definable goods. Mm -hmm. So the question, I mean, do you think that the public should be provided this information or is it in some sort of governmental parental interest? In other words, are governments being the good parents? Mm -hmm. uh, to, to paraphrase the movie line from A Few Good Men, you can't handle the truth for perhaps the very reasons you've just brought into light. Mm -hmm. So again, is it in some parental interest to control what is being released to the public so as to control public stability and health and therefore perhaps wean, if you mm -hmm. will, the public into the reality that either unusual technology exists that we've been able to create that is profoundly disruptive and therefore represents a paradigm shift, or as you said, we're poised that 
perhaps one of the most significant events in human history, at least recent human history, in that this represents, if you will, a first coming uh, mm -hmm. contact. What do you think? Well, good question. Before I uh, before I answer, let me allow you to make uh, a sort of opening remark. And I find it very interesting that, as a matter of fact, um, we have sort of trying to get rid of what uh, you might define as the transcendent or the transcendental realm in the last uh, 250 years after the age of enlightenment. And what I um, what I perceive uh, is. Uh, kind of striking because uh, now in a sort of technological um, uh, disguise or on a technological level, this is sort of reintroduced. And uh, the UAPs uh, might be um, one way to look at it. On the other hand, we're having a, a, a sort of structurally similar uh, development currently going on with AI because what is it? Is it real? Is there consciousness uh, involved? Is there emerging consciousness? or? Is it just uh, is it just an epiphenomenon? And um, so I think, uh, in some sense, also we tried our best to get rid of the transcendent. We actually haven't been able to manage that. Yeah, and now there is on a different level there is a reintroductory uh, effect of this um, of this uh, transcendent uh, phenomena, at least uh, on a phenomenological level. And uh, having that that I think it pretty much depends on the uh, on the on the model you have of a state or a government, whether it is patriarchalistic in nature and uh, sort of trying to um, uh, to take care of the citizens like good parents, as you said, or whether it uh, whether a government should be completely transparent. And I think it's always very, very diffi difficult uh, to sort of find a balance between transparency, public interest, public health, and uh, also um, public stability and um, and safety <clears throat> and um, transparency and informed decision making uh, are clearly very important um, and I think what we have seen here is uh, at least the way how this has been communicated has clearly changed and uh, this is what many people including me perceive and the question is why is it why is that and uh, uh, I can only speculate. I don't have. I don't have uh, an answer. But my um, my hunch would be that uh, after Corona, uh, we have actually entered into a new normal, and that is actually demanding a new um, sort of um, communication strategy uh, between the government and uh, the citizens. And maybe it is. Um, it is at the level of the anomalies where we can perceive that uh, at um, quite good. Interesting points. I mean, clearly, there are anomalies here. <laughs> Whether those anomalies are human anomalies and the way we've communicated this and the way we've engaged, anomalies, things that are literally outside the norm of what we've been capable of doing technologically mm -hmm. to date, or anomalies representing phenomenon that are occurring that, as you say, are a turning point in human history that represent contact with some form of at least non-human technology or from beyond in the galaxy. That said, I, th I think, once again, the, the issues for humans' public health, safety, biological stability, mm -hmm. and, and security are all in some way wound up in both this narrative and the reality of events as they are playing out in real time. 
Nico, it was great having you on board. Uh, this obviously is a work in progress. It is. And as it develops, we'll be sure to bring you back to have further comment, insights, and, and your views and perspectives as to what these various developments both may infer and may lead to in terms of responses, not only here in the United States and among our international allies, but perhaps globally. Nico, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Jim. A pleasure. And thanks to each and all of you for listening to yet another episode of Clear and Present, where we attempt to engage particular issues that are at least on the forefront, if not the cutting edge, of the interface between science, technology, biosecurity, and biodefense as relevant to the public interest. As this situation unfolds in relatively real time, we'll try to stay atop the situation with our finger on the pulse and... We believe that bringing Professor Coles back on board would be a useful enterprise. And in so doing, we also will open up the discourse in those various areas and dimensions that are being affected as the situation develops. Thanks so much for listening. Wish you all a great day. Subscribe to your favorite podcast channel to join us next time for another episode of Clear and Present.